Welcome into the Ride On Sports Podcast, everybody. Well, week one of high school football happened, and a shocker here in the Coastal Bend as Cal Allen drops their week one game against Cornerstone Christian. The NBA playoffs are in full swing, and three words, Chris Paul, baby. The Thunder force a game seven against the Rockets. And I'll top off the show here with some fantasy football advice. I'm going to give you guys a draft strategy that is certain to get you to championship in your fantasy football league. Stay tuned. This is the Ride On Sports Podcast. This is the Ride On Sports Podcast with Jason Cassera and Gabe Myers, your best source for local sports talk. The Ride On crew will be highlighting all your favorite local teams and everything else the world of sports has to offer from right here in the Coastal Bend. All right, welcome back into the Ride On Sports Podcast. I'm recording this segment directly after the Utah-Denver game, and man, what an interesting game it was. It was it wasn't the high-scoring game that this uh, that this series had been. You know, the final score was 80 to 78, Denver coming away with the win. Um and yeah, I, it's uh, you know, game 7s tend to be like this sometimes. Both offenses, you know, get a little stuck in the mud. They can't get going just the just the pressure of the just the pressure of the situation, you know, where every shot, you know, can you know, ultimately make or break your season. Uh this kind of goes, you know, analytics guys kind of like to argue that Oh, pressure doesn't exist. Pressure is a—it's just a made-up thing. And tonight's game showed that you know pressure is real. I mean, Denver won the game and only scored thirty points in the second half. Um, I mean that it was pressure and Jamal Murray getting hurt. Um, but man, it was what an interesting game it was. I mean, you saw for—I mean, you saw for Utah the guy—the only two guys that really showed up were Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. You know, Mitchell got off to a rough start, but. 15 points, 15 of his 22 came in the second half. Gobert, after a slow start, had 19 points and 18 rebounds. And, I mean, the role players, like Jordan Clarkson, who had been great all series, you know, did not play well. Now, I credit that to Gary Harris. But, you know, George Niang, after a couple threes early on, didn't do much. Um, Joe Ingles was, you know, he didn't do much. He didn't do much in a scoring category, only seven points. Um, But, man, it was... Such an such an interesting game, I thought. So coming into this game, similar to similar to OKC versus um, similar to OKC versus Houston, I w- so I I picked Denver and Nikola Jokic is one of my favorite, if not my favorite player in the league. Um, so I was rooting for Denver in this game. Uh, I wanted Denver to win, but my head I was kind of leaning towards Utah. But after game six, you know, seeing I was skeptical of what Gary Harris could do, uh, not playing a game since March. But man, he made such an impact defensively for Denver. So I was, you know, the the it opened up the betting line opened up Utah minus or yeah, Utah like minus one, and it stayed at a pick'em for a bit. I think it closed out finally at Denver minus two. Uh, so it seems like a lot of the sharps were on Denver uh, and it came through. Um, but it was, just, I was so back and forth on this game cause I was like, I think Utah's a better team or they looked the better team in this series, but I picked Denver, but Jamal Murray had been hot and, but they don't really, ha- they can't guard Donovan Mitchell, but Gary Harris made a huge difference to their defense and it cha- uh, Denver changed up their strategy and rotation. I thought the coaching job Mike Malone did, uh, the last three games of the series, uh, was excellent, excellent for Denver. Um, and then of course I can't talk about this game. Nikola Jokic, I mean, 30 points, 14 rebounds. You know, Jamal Murray, after colliding with Joe Ingles early on, just really didn't do much of anything. 
and Jokic just put the team on his back the way he, you know, the way he's done before in the regular season. And this was really probably his signature playoff moment, that hook shot over Gobert with about 30 seconds left. Um, that, you know, that's probably the signature moment in his career up to this point. And I mean, what, what a, what a weird game it was. I mean, it, the first half of this game, you know, Denver was up, you know, what were they up? They were up by 14 at halftime. And I'll tell you, it was 50 to 36. And I'll tell you, I really, I really thought uh, that's how the series was going to go. You know, coming into it, if you listen to my playoff preview, um, I really thought without Bojan Bogdanovic that Utah would not have the firepower to keep up with Denver. I didn't put enough stock. This was the flaw in my prediction. I didn't put enough stock into Gary Harris and Will Barton not being there for the Nuggets. Um, And that's, you know... That's a flaw on my end. Uh, so I didn't I didn't put enough stock into that. But man, what a what an what a game though. I mean, just honestly, what a what a game this was. I mean, Gary Harris battling back to play his first game in you know five months, five and a half months in a do or die game six. I mean, that's that's way too much to ask of anybody. And he played well defensively. Now, he didn't do much, you know, offensively, he didn't do much. He only had four points. He missed several open jumpers. Uh, Last couple years, he hasn't really been a great shooter. But he came through tonight. And then, uh, you know, I mean, you look at it for Denver. I have the box score in front of me. Only three guys had double figures. Uh, Jokic with 30. Murray at 17. But, you know, he had that big shot off the glass late. But he didn't do much in the second half. Once he collided with Joe Ingles, that's what changed the game. That's what gave Utah a chance. And then Michael Porter at 10, and then nobody else in double figures for the Nuggets. I mean, I feel like we see this in Game 7s a lot, um, where the role players just don't come through. It's a it's too big of a moment for him. And you saw it on both sides. You know, the two All-Stars for Denver were the guys that really played well. And um, on, the flip, on the flip side of it, the two All-Stars for Utah were the guys that really played well. And that's why people say, like, oh, things like playoff experience, you know, those kind of things matter. And, you know, kind of as a casual fan, I think it gets overlooked. Like, oh, just good players are good players. But no, it like that that star power that you know having guys with that experience because it's young role players. A guy like Jordan Clarkson, a guy like Jawan Morgan, a guy you know Royce O'Neal, you know, was silent tonight. You know, guys like that just typically don't come up big in Game Sevens. But man, it was uh, I mean, it was Nikola Jokic that came up big for the Nuggets tonight. He saved their season. Um, I hope Jamal Murray is okay. I really, really do. Um, I'm very intrigued by the Denver Clippers series. Um, but, I, I, man, he once he collided with Joe Ingles, that's when the game turned because he seemed to lose all explosiveness and didn't, you know, he didn't have that extra gear he could go into. He couldn't really go and create his own shot. Um, and Denver only scored 30 points in the second half offensively. Um, so, man, if that's... Man, if if that uh, holds, if that you know, if that if this injury is one that lingers, I don't give Denver much of a chance against the Clippers. But if it's just a stinger and he's going to be fine, you know, in a couple of days, then I think Denver could give the Clippers some trouble. Um, I think you know they don't really have an answer for Jokic. You know, Murray just he can create on anybody, and I don't think Kawhi is going to be guarding him. It's probably going to be Marcus Morris <laughs> guarding him a lot again. We'll see how. Uh, We'll see how that works out. Uh, he's he really loved guarding Luka Doncic, um, but yeah, I'm so, gosh, that like I was I was literally on the edge of my seat in Game Seven. Uh, part of that was I had a friend with a pretty good, 
pretty good amount of money on the game. And I was rooting for Denver. Uh, you know, I picked them. I love Nikola Jokic. Uh, but I really like this Utah team, too. And I think, gosh, the last couple of years, they've run into the Rockets in the playoffs. And just, you know, that's been that. And it's not, you know... Denver's, you know, Utah, or Utah's a good team. They just run into the Rockets, who are a horrible matchup for them. And this year they got, you know, they kind of, I don't want to say they tanked, but they lost some games to get down to the sixth seed to play someone besides Houston. Um, and just fell short in game seven. Uh, I'll tell you, through the first four games, I thought the series was over. And I, credit to the Denver Nuggets. Um, I really thought if a team went down 3-1 in the bubble, knowing they can get back home and get out of, you know, isolation, I thought, you know, the team would, you know, kind of go one, two, three, Cancun in a pregame huddle, you know, and not really give it an honest effort. But credit to the resilience of the Denver Nuggets for coming out for, you know, for just fighting, fighting for their lives, fighting for their season. Um, and man, what what a game it was! So, and in this in this age where it seems every game is like one twenty five to one twenty, an eighty to seventy eight game, a little a little throwback. The game was, you know, played in the mud. It was a uh, Neither offense could really get going, but, you know, the stars showed who they were, and ultimately, Nikola Jokic made one more big shot than the Utah Jazz could make, and I'll tell you, I thought, I really thought that Mike Conley three was going in when he shot it. I was, oh my gosh, what? Jamal Murray has to know in that situation, take the ball out, get fouled, you're a great free throw shooter, go to the free throw line, hit two free throws, the game's over, but he, you know, passes Torrey Craig, who should make the layup anyway. Blows the layup in Utah instead of calling a timeout, set something up. They just go right down the floor, and Mike Conley launches a shot. I thought it was in. I have a friend in uh, in Denver who's a big Nuggets fan, and I've been texting him, and he told me he thought it was going in. Like uh, I was certain that shot was going in, and um, no, it, it rimmed out. And I, I, you know, I feel for Donovan Mitchell and those Utah players. They what what a series they played. I mean, to lose. You know, I thought they had to, had it in a bad game five and they were up 15. And, you know, Jamal Murray willed Denver on that comeback in game five. And then, you know, game six, Jamal Murray was spectacular again. And, you know, game seven, it was Nikola Jokic having his best game of the series. Um, and I'll tell you, watching the first half of that game is how I thought the series was going to go uh, without Bojan Bogdanovic. I thought there'd be too much firepower from Denver, and Jokic had dominated Gobert during the year. At one point early, early in the second half, uh, Denver took Gobert when he was in the game. They took him off Jokic, and they couldn't get him in foul trouble because uh, Gobert had three fouls in the first half, and Jokic was just you know taking it to him. But credit to Utah for fighting back. They were in tough circumstances tonight, blowing a 3-1 lead and being down double digits in Game 7 and you know fighting back in her – you know, if that shot rims in instead of rims out, you know, it's a totally different conversation I'm having with you guys right now. But instead, here we are, Denver Clippers, second round. I'm sticking with my prediction. I had the Clippers in six um, in my playoff preview. I feel I feel pretty good about that. I mean, if Jamal Murray isn't 100%, then it's going to be Clippers in four or five. I mean, because they don't really have anybody else to create on a perimeter. Uh, they need Jamal Murray to be at his absolute best. But, you know, I hope he is. Uh, I love watching Denver play, and I think it's going to be a fun series. You know, it's, again, do the Nuggets have anyone to guard Kawhi Leonard? I mean, Gary Harris is a really good perimeter defender, but he is only six foot four. Um, I don't think he can handle Kawhi in the post. Do they do something similar to what Dallas did and try to try to double him? I'm, I'm interested to see the tactics in this game. I, I thought Mike Malone's coaching in this series. I thought both uh, Quinn Snyder and Mike Malone, Quinn Snyder, the Utah Jazz coach, I thought both guys coaching was excellent. I think Quinn Snyder is one of the most underrated coaches in the league, as as is Mike Malone. 
Um, and yeah, so I'm very interested to see the coaching that happens in that series with the Clippers, how, you know, how Denver attacks them offensively and how they defend Kawhi and Co. defensively. But anyway, we're going to get back to the podcast now. I just wanted to give a quick recap of that Denver-Utah game. The Denver Nuggets, 80-78, to move on to play the LA Clippers in the second round in the fantastic Game 7 here on a lovely Tuesday night. And here we are, the Right on Sports Podcast. I am Gabe Myers. Jason Cassera is back on the injured list today, so it'll just be me, nobody else. Got Russell in the building with me, but he's not going to talk. Um, but we're going to hop right in here to some high school football. Um, so a big shocker week one, Kyle and with the early loss of Cornerstone Christian. Jason and I talked quite a bit about this game. I was very intrigued to see what it would be. It was, Cornerstone Christian was very much an unknown, I think, for a lot of people because they are a tap school. You don't know the level of competition. of uh, You know, you don't know how good they're going to be. But, man... One guy is the reason why Cornerstone Christian won this game. That's Lucas Coley, the quarterback who is an Arkansas commit. Coley, all night long, was the best player on the field, making plays with his legs, multiple long touchdown runs, and Kyle Allen just couldn't tackle him in their secondary. And ultimately, 24-20, that's the reason why they lost those two long touchdown runs. Their defense played well overall, just keeping him contained. They didn't let him throw the ball for a ton of yards, but he got loose on those two long runs. And I have to say, watching the game, Kyle Allen's offense looked a little bit stuck in the mud. Maybe you know, maybe it's just week one and not having a normal training camp. Maybe it's indicative of something of a theme we'll see throughout the season. But man, I, I was a little disappointed in Kyle Allen's offense. I thought they would be able to overpower Cornerstone Christian, but that just never really happened. They always seemed to be a step slow. They seem to be a step behind and they need to right the ship. They need to bounce back W in week, uh, in week two against Jordanson. But man, we want to talk about not being stuck in the mud though. The Miller bucks, a 61 24 win over Toloso midway. It was a 62 24. I forget. Regardless, the Miller bucks looked outstanding. Andrew body picked up right where he left off from last season. That offense was go, go, go from the opening minutes. You know, it was tied 7-7 after a Toloso midway uh, trick play touchdown following a fake punt. But from there on, 34 unanswered points for the Miller Bucks going into halftime. And they just never let it up. It was it was an annihilation. And like I said before the year, Toloso midway's in a bit of a tough spot. They got, you know, they improved last year, but now being put in this tough district where they are going to face Miller again. I mean, Toloso has some things to figure out. They tried to run... You know, their triple option attack, try to keep the ball out of Miller's hands, but they couldn't consistently get first downs to, you know, sustain drives. And as soon as Miller got the ball, they were going right down the field to store. Toloso looked pretty hapless to stop them. The one the one bad thing I saw from Miller on the night was the play right before that touchdown. They uh you know, Toloso Toloso's punter, he the first time they punted, he had the uh he waited before he punted the ball looking to run. And Miller did not key in on that. And the second time, he actually did take off, pick up the first down, and Miller was clueless as to what had happened. But, you know, Miller comes, you know, and they scored a touchdown on the next play. But other than that, Miller looks pretty much perfect, at least the starters did on a night. Great game for them. Uh, and they got a big one next week. Uh, the unofficial uh, right on sports game of the week next week. And I think everybody's game of the week here in the Coastal Bend is going to be Miller traveling to Rockport to play Rockport Fulton. I'm very much looking forward to that game. 
you know, a regional uh, a regional finalist or semifinalist a year ago, Rockport Fulton, taking on Miller, who has, you know, state championship aspirations. That's going to be a big one. And speaking of state championship aspirations, Port Lavaca Calhoun, the preseason number five ranked team in 4A Division One, they traveled to Waco La Vega, the number one team in the state for that division. They lost 20 to 7. They were able to compete, but... I mean, Waco La Vega, they're just so they're so talented, so big, so strong, so fast. I mean, Port Lavaca able to compete for, there for a little bit, able to keep it close, only losing by 13. But, you know, man, Waco La Vega, that is a monster in and of itself. They're, you know, you got to score more than seven points to beat a team like that. It's why I like Miller in that district this year. I watch Cal Allen week one. They look stuck in the mud. Port Lavaca, you know, and now again, they were playing Waco La Vega, so that you know that team could very well go undefeated. But their offense never really got going. And I'm watching Miller over here scoring 60 points in uh, Week One. Out, it's hard for me to see anyone slowing that offense down this season. Andrew Body's an outstanding quarterback, maybe the best you know uh, high school football player here in the Coastal Bend. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this season turns out for him, and really looking forward to seeing that game at Rockport uh, this Friday night. Um, and then back on Callen for a bit here, they go up to Jordanton uh, this weekend before week three playing number one Waco La Vega. So that's going to be a big, big game for Cal Allen. They need to get – they I think they need to get a, a win for week two. This is a must-win game for Cal Allen because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard going up to Waco La Vega on two straight losses. I can't – you know – what that would do to the psyche of your team if you're Coach Danaher. I think you got to get a win this weekend at Jordanson. Cal Allen scheduled tough to start the season, and now they're seeing how tough that schedule can be. I'm really looking forward to this weekend of high school football with Miller and Rockport and then Cal Allen playing Jordanson. And Cal Allen, I think, needing a win this weekend in that district, district 15 4A. Let's go to the NBA now. And like I said in, the, in a little intro, Chris Paul, baby. Chris Paul, I. I love this for him because I think for years, Chris Paul has gotten undeserved hate. In my opinion, uh, there's a baseball analytics guy, Bill James, and he says something I absolutely agree with. Bad teams have a problem of blaming their best players for their lack of success. And I think Chris Paul has been on the wrong end of that for years. I think for years and years and years, whether it was in new Orleans or whether it was with the Clippers, um, I think he got blamed for, Oh, the Pelican, or I guess they were the Hornets at the time. The Hornets are never real title contenders. We got to get rid of Chris Paul. And oh, the Clippers could never break through to the conference finals. And that's, you know, that's Chris Paul's fault, not the fact that DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin can't shoot outside shots. But Chris Paul, for years and years and years, gets the blame for other guys not being able to come through, other guys not being good enough. And now he's taking a team in OKC, a team that a year had their two best players from a year ago. Uh, a guy who got MVP votes, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook, who's a former MVP and averages a triple-double. They lose those two guys. Everyone thinks, a rebuild, thinks it's a rebuilding year. He leads them to the five seed in the Western Conference. In a Western Conference this year, that was very, very deep. And he gets them the five seed in the West. And now he's taking the Rockets, a team with championship aspirations, a team that got Russell Westbrook last year in the trade. Everybody thought the Rockets won the trade because they get Russell Westbrook and they got to dump Chris Paul on the Thunder. And Chris Paul is taking the Rockets to seven games. And you're seeing it late in games. 
like just how much better he is than Russell Westbrook. And this is a little bit of an indictment on Westbrook as well. He has never been a winning basketball player. I mean, just go back to the 2016 conference finals when they played Golden State. Game six, a game where Klay Thompson got hot, and every everybody remembers it as a Klay Thompson game where he just seemingly did not miss in the second half of that game. And he was great. But Russell Westbrook had four turnovers in the last two minutes of that game. And what did you see last night? Russell Westbrook, turnover after turnover after turnover, air ball in the final minute, not getting the, getting the ball to James Harden. And if you're James Harden, what are you doing not clamoring for the ball? I don't understand not wanting the ball in that situation and letting Westbrook, who's you know coming off an injury, he's probably a little bit rusty, and Russ is just wildly just doing stuff and turning the ball over and he's not making the right plays. Russell Westbrook needs to understand the moment, needs to understand he's not the best player on the floor. This is the kind of thing that drove Kevin Durant out of Oklahoma City. And now I'd imagine James Harden's get, you know, he is not happy after yesterday's game. But I, Chris Paul yesterday, 15 points in the fourth quarter, just hit big shot after big shot. The team was down six, was about three minutes left, and it looked like Houston was going to pull off the win in six games. Chris Paul would not let it happen, though. I'm so happy for him. He's been one of the best point guards in the league for over a decade now, and he's He's just been the consummate pro. I mean, he's a he's a president of the Players Association. He's one of the most intelligent people off the court in the league, and I think he's the most high IQ basketball player that I've ever seen. Chris Paul, he he deserves all the praise he's been getting over the last twenty four hours. I think he's you know one of the best players in the league, and he's getting recognized as it. I think he he should have been a finalist for the MVP. I think he deserves MVP votes. You could you could really even talk me into voting him as this year's league MVP for what he's done with OKC this year for, for what their expectations were. I think Chris Paul deserves so much more credit. Um, but again, it goes back to Houston, though. Westbrook turning the ball over. Harden, this is what we criticize him for. He shrinks into big moments. And he had played pretty well overall in this series. I thought he's really been the one carrying the Rockets amidst a, you know, a lot of average performances from their role players. But he's not, you know, this is what we criticize him for. He's not the alpha dog on that team. He's not that, you know, Michael Jordan, that Kobe Bryant that's just going to, there's no question he's getting the ball and he's taking the shot and it's going into the final moments. Although those guys, the ball didn't always go in, but they were taking a shot and they were going to be aggressive. We watched James Harden defer to Russell Westbrook, who really had not been good the entire game. I don't know what James Harden is thinking there. Despite the praise I'm giving to Chris Paul and, you know, the kind of the hate I'm giving to Russell Westbrook right now. My eyes tell me the Houston Rockets are a better team. If you've watched this series, the Rockets, their wins have tended to be going away. OKC is, you know, kind of pulled wins out of their ass late in games. You know, it's been heroics by Chris Paul or Dennis Schroeder, you know, just big, you know, they've needed a, a bounce or two to go their way. Um, I mean, I think Houston is the better basketball team. You can see it in their wins, how much better they are than OKC. When OKC can, you know, mess the game up a little bit, make Houston play in the mud, I think uh, that's when OKC has the advantage. And credit to their defense for doing that. I would like to see the Thunder late in games take Steven Adams out and go small ball with Gallinari at the five. But um, I, I just think the Rockets are the better team. I think they have more talented players. But, man, it's going to be... If you're the Rockets, you lose to Oklahoma City in round one. I I'm wondering if you're Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the team, who gets fired? Like, you know, I would think D'Antoni's out the door. Uh, do you get rid of Daryl Morey? Do you keep Daryl Morey if you lose in the first round after acquiring Russell Westbrook in the offseason and still losing in round one? Um, you know, D'Antoni, his contract is up. It's 
I think he has to have a playoff run in order to stay with the team. That's what it feels like, at least. I do think the Rockets are going to win, but, man, for a team with championship aspirations that, you know, like I said in the last podcast, I really don't like the way they play, but they are a very talented team, and I think they're a team that in the next round could give the L.A. Lakers a ton of problems because the Lakers are going to have, I mean, at least the uh, the Thunder have Chris Paul, who's a good defender in the backcourt. They have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's a, you know, long, lanky guard who's, you know, who gives good effort defensively. They have Schroeder, who's, you know, great quickness and is able to at least bother people defensively. The Lakers have nobody in the backcourt, so I think the Rockets would give them a ton of problems for that reason and because they shoot the three ball very well and the Lakers just don't. Um, I think that would be that would be a very interesting series. Now, the flip side of that is the Rockets have no size and the Lakers have Anthony Davis, so that's going to be a huge problem. But I want to see that matchup, but, man, it's, if the Rockets lose Game 7, someone, maybe multiple people are out the door in Houston in the front office and in the coaching staff. Uh, my eyes tell me the Rockets win Game Seven. They're just a better team, but I can't help but root for Chris Paul. What redemption it would be for him to beat the team that traded him and you know basically said he was done uh, at the end of last season to come back and beat them in Round One of the playoffs. You know that would really that would really be something. And I hope you know I hope Chris Paul gets it done. I really do. Like I said, I'm going to be rooting for him. My eyes tell me, my eyes tell me OKC is going to win or Houston's going to win the game. They're just the better team. I think. Dort has done a good job on Harden, but Harden is going to, I think Harden's going to get his points. I think, you know, Westbrook can't play any worse than he played in the fourth quarter yesterday. Uh, Steven Adams has been an absolute liability in the series. I don't see that changing. Uh, and, you know, there guys missed some open shots yesterday. You know, uh, P.J. Tucker missed a couple of open corner threes that usually go in. Daniel House didn't play great yesterday. Um, Eric Gordon was not... Um, you know, he was not stellar. Uh, he, he, I mean, Eric Gordon, there, there was a lot of talk of playoff Gordon coming in. The Rockets expect Eric Gordon to be really, really good. And he hasn't been in this series. He really hasn't been. Uh, they need guys to step up. But if they, you know, they got to, they can get their pace going with Westbrook back in the lineup. I think Houston closes it out. I think they win comfortably in game seven. My eyes tell me they're just a better team. But man, oh man, oh man. If, if the Thunder beat the Rockets, I would think D'Antoni's out the door, and I wouldn't be surprised if Daryl Morey's out the door as well. That would be, whew, whew, that would be something. I'm, part of me would be excited because I, like I said in the last podcast, I do not like the way, I do not like the way the Rockets play basketball, and I think that comes from Daryl Morey because we've seen D'Antoni. D'Antoni does not encourage this type of basketball in his previous stops. He wants ball movement and player movement. And the Rockets just don't do that. So I think that comes from Daryl Morey up top. So if he got fired, I would part of me would be okay with that. I do think he's a very smart guy, but I think his the way he clings to this weird way he wants to play basketball, I just don't agree with. I don't like I don't like that. But I think, you know, I think a lot of people's jobs are on the line, you know, tomorrow evening when the Rockets uh you know, when the Rockets and Thunder play their game seven. Um, and like I said, if the Rockets do advance, and you know, if I, if I'm the Lakers, I'm rooting for OKC and Chris Paul. If I'm the Lakers, I want OKC to win because I think the Thunder would just be so outmatched talent wise and size wise. Um, I think the Lakers would make pretty quick work of Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City does not have the offensive firepower uh, to beat LeBron and Anthony Davis. But if it's the Rockets, I that Rockets Lakers series just the complete. How opposite those two teams are, it would be so interesting to watch. I'd be, I'm so intrigued by that potential series. But I'm rooting for Chris Paul because I love Chris Paul. Um, 
But I want to shift now to the uh, to the other game yesterday, uh, Bucks and Heat. Um, and I said coming in, I said on a playoff preview, I said on the last podcast to not just pencil in the Bucks to the conference finals. I think the Heat could give them real problems. And I actually noticed on Twitter right before the series, a lot of NBA writers were picking uh, were picking Miami to even win the series. Something I didn't have quite the guts to do. Um, which made me a little sad because I thought I'd, you know, kind of be the black sheep in that. But everybody's picking Miami or thinks Miami can give them problems. So I don't, you know, I guess I'm not as uh, thoughtful as I thought I was. But um, but Miami made the Bucks look, you know, unathletic. Uh, you know, I thought I thought Miami would give them problems because Bam Adebayo is a great defender for Giannis. And Miami has a lot of guys that can throw at Giannis. They have, you know, Jimmy Butler. They have Bam Adebayo. They have Jay Crowder. They have Andre Iguodala. Just several guys that can rotate at Giannis and not, you know, just so Giannis can't just wear out one defender. They're going to throw multiple guys at him. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but Miami, I think they were the best or best or second best three-point shooting team in the league in the regular season. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Goran Dragic. You know, these are guys that can really, really shoot the ball. Even Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala. Jimmy Butler was not good during the season, but he's become a good three-point shooter in the playoffs. And Jimmy Butler's another guy who I think has gotten undeserved hate. So I love seeing these guys who have gotten, in my opinion, hate that is undeserved, that, you know, the media for whatever reason doesn't like or Twitter doesn't like or whoever, and they come out and just ball out in the playoffs. And we saw it from Chris Paul, and we saw it from Jimmy Butler, who kind of got clowned on when he went to uh, when he went to Miami. It was like, oh, you're leaving Philadelphia to go to Miami, who won't even make the playoffs, or will be an eight seed. You're going there to get bounced in the first round, and you're a problem, and teammates don't like you, and all the reviews in Miami is that Butler's a great teammate and a great leader. And you watch him yesterday scoring 40 points and, you know, grossly outplaying the defensive player of the year and likely back-to-back MVP in Giannis. I, I mean, you just see how good Jimmy Butler is and how much he is, you know, where I say Harden is not, you know, he lacks kind of that alpha mentality to him. Jimmy Butler does not. Jimmy Butler is the ultimate alpha dog for the Miami Heat, and they have a bunch of young guys, a bunch of secondary players. You know, no, they don't have a real second star. Although Bam Adebayo is really, really good, but you see the you see how good Jimmy Butler is, and how you know Goran Dragic, you know, raises his level of play, and how Tyler Hero, rookie, is able to contribute, and Duncan Robinson, who's a former a former Division three basketball player who transferred to a D one as a walk on, and then found his way in the NBA, he's able to contribute on a team that is up 1-0 in the second round of the playoffs and Bam Adebayo you know probably should have won most improved player um this past year uh you're seeing all these guys and how good they are and even Jay Crowder um Andre Iguodala you know he's carrying these guys and the Bucks have a lot to be worried about because like they looked unathletic and you know, I thought Chris Middleton actually played pretty well yesterday. Um, I know there's a certain sportscaster who thinks he's going to, you know, shrink and choke in the playoffs when, you know, he might. Uh, but I thought he played pretty well yesterday. And the Bucks in the first half were shooting like 65% from the field. I mean, they were they got off to an incredibly hot start. I was watching that game. And at the end of the first half, my the Bucks were only up by three. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, Miami's going to win this game because Milwaukee can't keep the shooting up. And they didn't, and Giannis struggled, and he only had 19 points, and you know he can't he can't hit a free throw. You know he missed six free throws yesterday, and it's man, I think my I, I picked Milwaukee in six. And I think I'm gonna stick to it because I think Giannis is great, and great players figure out a way to win game to win to win these series, and 
you know, I think Brook Lopez. I think Brook Lopez is a very, very good player. I think Middleton's very, very good. I think getting Eric Bledsoe back will help because I think he increases their overall athleticism and he pushes the pace more than George Hill does. I like George Hill coming off the bench more than I like him starting for this team. Um, but man, Milwaukee is a lot to be worried about if they can't uh, they can't figure out an answer for Jimmy Butler if they can't figure out an answer for the defense the Miami Heat are throwing at Giannis Antetokounmpo because. I think Miami has the personnel. The Bucks looked unathletic, and I think my I think Miami's going to give them a lot of problems. The Bucks are in a must-win in game two. But if y'all remember last year in the second round of the playoffs, Boston really handled the Bucks in you know game one before winning the next four and closing out the Celtics in five, and ultimately Kyrie's tenure in Boston. Um, so maybe the Bucks, maybe history repeats itself. Maybe the Bucks, you know, they write the ship after a tough game one, come back and, you know, make quick work of Miami, show Miami why, you know, they are the one seed and why Miami was the fifth seed coming into the playoffs. But I don't think Miami's an easy out. is a very good coach. Jimmy Butler's a guy who rises to the occasion in the, playoff, in the playoffs. And Miami's a tough team defensively and a tough team mentally. And I th- teams like that don't just go away. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that series uh, plays out. But we're going to take a short break here with a quick message from Ride On, and I'll be right back here with more on the Ride On Sports Podcast. I'd like to take this minute to talk about RideOnCorpus.com. Ride On Corpus is a lifestyle media company that creates fun in our city by promoting experiences that you guys will love. They are the people to turn to for advice on everything Coastal Bend. What fun shall you do today? Find out at rightoncorpus.com. And all right, we're back here on the Right On Sports Podcast, and uh, we're going to go to our last segment of the day, uh, fantasy football here. I know a lot of y'all are drafting your teams or about to draft your teams, and uh, I want to give you a little uh, how-to. You know, I think y'all will uh, think using this strategy that I'm about to give you, you'll be in great position to win your fantasy league this year. Um, so I'm gonna give you my draft strategy, but before I do that, I want to give y'all a little, a few guys that, uh, I want to give you a do not draft list first. And these are, uh, these are guys I think you just got to stay away from. Um, I think the guy you sh- absolutely should not under no circumstances, even if you have the last pick of your draft and these guys are available, which they won't be, but if you have the last pick and these guys are available, don't take these guys, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, and Melvin Gordon. I mean, Todd Gurley. You know, last year he was also on my do not draft list, and it's because he has a has a degenerative knee condition, and that does not get he has arthritis in his knee, and that does not get better over time. Like Todd Gurley is not going to come back from last year and be a better player than he was. Even if the Falcons give him more carries, Gurley's just not going to be a very good running back. Um, and he's on a one year contract, and the Falcons don't really have much invested in him. Um, I just don't think Todd Gurley is going to be, you know, very, very good this year. Um, so I think, and they have him ranked, you know, in the mid thirties. A lot of people do on their, uh, you know, I think I know ESPN does on their like big board. Um, and I just don't think Todd Gurley's worth the pick. Uh, go a different direction if you're looking for a running back. There, Todd Gurley is absolutely not the answer. And a number two guy, another veteran injury riddled running back is David Johnson. Um, I don't really get it for him either. I mean, last year the Cardinals replaced David Johnson with Kenyon Drake. And Kenyon Drake's a nice player, but he's not, you know, this really great player. And the Cardinals are paying David Johnson $12 million, and you're replacing a guy who's getting paid $12 million with a former fourth-round pick um, who's still, you know, I think he was on his rookie deal still. Um, and now he goes to Houston, and 
you know, who knows what they do with their running backs. They have Duke Johnson, who was really, really good for them last year, you know, sporadically. Uh, who knows what Bill O'Brien's doing with the skill position players. But I don't think David Johnson's going to come in and be, you know, a starting level running back or even a flex level running back in fantasy. Um, he just hasn't been a good player. He's been hurt the last few years. And when he has been on the field, he just hasn't been a very good player. So I think drafting David Johnson where, you know, ESPN and other uh, fantasy organizations have him slotted, I think would just be uh, – I think I think it would be pretty dumb. I don't think it would be smart. Um, and then the last one, uh, Melvin Gordon on the do not draft list. I mean, and it's not – I actually think Melvin Gordon is a very good player. But the Broncos, they have you know they have all these wide receivers. They have Cortland Sutton, and they draft Jerry Judy, and they draft KJ Hamler, and Drew Locke's supposed to be really really good this year. And they have uh, Noah Fant, a tight end, who's a really really good receiving tight end. And then they already have uh, Philip Lindsay, who's a very good running back, and R- Royce Freeman, who's another good running back. And now you added uh, Melvin Gordon. I actually think he is a very good player. I just don't see how he's going to get enough carries to warrant, you know, really being in your starting lineup, you know, every week. I don't think he's going to get enough of a workload to really – I'm not sure he was a better player than Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. And if he is, he's definitely going to be splitting carries with those guys, and he's not a great receiver out of the backfield. So especially in PPR, he's not worth it. But I don't see Melvin Gordon being um, – I don't think he's going to be a very good uh, option in fantasy this year, despite I think he's going to be a very good player. Now, next, I want to give you got three guys. I'm not going to say don't draft them because these are good players. These are guys I like even, but be wary of. Maybe don't draft them as high as, you know, probably probably these guys are a little overvalued in their in their fantasy rankings. Uh, the first one is Zeke Elliott. Uh, he's, mo- he's number three on most people's big boards and projections. Um, and I think Zeke Elliott is really, really good. And the Cowboys, you know, they generally have a good O-line. Now they lost Travis Frederick, so we'll see how that works out for him. But... Mike McCarthy is very pass-happy. And what did the Cowboys do this offseason? They drafted CeeDee Lamb. They went and signed uh, their tight end, uh, Dalton Schultz, or you know Blake Jarwin. That's who it was. They went and signed Blake Jarwin to a big money contract, one that he probably, probably wasn't worth. What does that tell you? The Cowboys are going to throw the football. And they paid Amari Cooper big money. They're going to throw the football this year. And Mike McCarthy is notoriously pass-happy. So the pass-happy coach and a quarterback that you know wants his money, so he's going to want to put up numbers – I just don't think Zeke is going to be, you know, one of the top four or five running backs in fantasy this year. Now, I think he's going to be a star. He's going to be a run, an RB1. I think he will be maybe probably seventh, eighth, ninth best running back, you know, in fantasy. You know, I think he's a high floor, low ceiling type of guy. I don't think he's going to have a great fantasy year. So if you have a top three pick, I would recommend going in a different direction besides Zeke Elliott if you can't get uh, McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley, and I know Kam- Alvin Kamara now, his situation's kind of up in the air with the Saints, uh, but he's a guy I look at, you know, Nick Chubb's a guy I love, but I think Zeke Elliott's a guy that um, I think I would pass on him in the first round, and, uh, especially if I have a high first round pick. Maybe if I'm picking at eight or nine and he's on the board, I doubt he would be, I would take him, but you know, as a top five pick, I think I'd pass on Zeke Elliott. Uh, second guy on this list is Aaron Jones, and it's another guy, I like Aaron Jones, I think he's a very, very good player. But the Packers, they do have Aaron Rodgers. He's going to want to throw the ball. And also, what the Packers do this offseason, they got a running back in the second round. They have Jamal Williams also in the backfield. And the running back they got in the second round in the draft, A.J. Dillon, he's a big power back. What does that tell me? He's going to get those goal line carries. So Aaron Jones is – the reason why Aaron Jones was so great in fantasy last year was because of his touchdown production. He had 18 touchdowns. He led the NFL in touchdowns last year. 
he's not going to get those touchdowns this year. He's I think he's still a thousand yard back. Maybe he gets six or seven TDs, but he's definitely not coming close to the eighteen. I think I'm probably have him going to single digits and touchdowns. I don't think he's worth a low first round pick. If you can get him maybe closer to the end of the second round, I would take him, but I don't think he's gonna get he's not gonna be the lone workhorse in Green Bay for the whole season. You don't draft a running back in the second round and not use him. I think Aaron Jones, he's going to have his carries dialed back quite a bit this season. Um, And then the last one, and this is a guy I love, is DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Going to the Arizona Cardinals, he doesn't have that rapport with Kyler Murray the way he had with, you know, Deshaun Watson. I thought, you know, with Deshaun, you know, whenever he was in trouble, it was just throwing number 10. And that was the answer to the problem. Um, but Kyler Murray has a rapport with Larry Fitzgerald, has a rapport with Christian Kirk. He likes throwing to Kenyon Drake out of the backfield. Um, and Cliff Kingsbury's offense has spread the ball around. Uh, so I think Hopkins will be a very, very good player this year, but I don't think he's worth – he's probably not worth second-round pick, probably closer to a third- or fourth-round pick in fantasy football. So I'd be wary of drafting him, and I love, I love him as a player. And maybe you do draft him at that point, you know, in the second round where he is valued because you know with D-Hop, he's not missing games. You know, I don't think he's ever missed a game in his career. But I don't think he's going to get the level of tar- the level of targets and the level of production that he had in Houston the last few years. So I would be wary of DeAndre Hopkins. And now to the exciting part, I'm going to give you my sleeper list. These are the guys that could make your team this season. Um, first guy on the sleeper list is guy replacing Todd Gurley with the uh, with the LA Rams. That's Cam Akers, a running back out of Florida State. He is a rookie. Um, and the thing with Cam Akers, what you got to realize is he was the number one overall recruit out of high school. He's a super, super talented guy. He goes to Florida State. And when he goes to Florida State, it is when they had Jimbo Fisher. And that year, they're ranked number one and number two in the preseason. And in a program, you know, they didn't have a good year that year. And then Fisher leaves and Willie Tiger comes in and the program falls off a cliff. And Cam Akers, his profile just drops. And then he ends up getting taken in the second, second or third round of the draft. Um, but this is a super talented back, and the Rams have improved their offensive line from last season. They're getting an upgrade in running back from Todd Gurley, who was not good a year ago. Cam Akers is a super talented guy, and we know rookie running backs can uh, – we know they can make a big impact. And I think Cam Akers is going to be the workhorse out there in uh, in Los Angeles. You know Sean McVay wants to run the football, and I think he's going to have a big year. I think he's going to be a starting quality running back probably by week three or week four of the season. Uh, I think he's going to lead the Rams in rushing yards and touchdowns this year. He's going to be their guy. And, you know, he has ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he was probably underdrafted, you know, in the NFL draft because of, you know, he just kind of fell off the scene in college because, you know, Florida State was a crappy program the last couple of years. But I think he's going to have a very good year with the Rams. He's a guy, he's, you know, in the mid-50s, low-60s is where most people have him. Uh, I wouldn't be afraid to take him, you know, in the high 40s. Uh, I think that would be uh, I think that would be very reasonable. I think he is going to be a starting he's going to be a starter in the NFL this year. I think he can have a very very good year. Uh, next guy, a wide receiver, I really like, and I think he's getting sle- he always gets slept on. But I think he's a very good guy. And he's going to be number one target for his quarterback this year, and that's Jamison Crowder with the Jets. Uh, Sam Darnold loves him. Uh, when Darnold played last year, he loved throwing to Jamison Crowder. Uh, and now that rapport is to year two with those guys. So that, you know, that rapport is just going to get better and better. I think Crowder and Donald are more comfortable this year than they were last year. It's the second year in the offense for both those guys. And, um, you know, around him, Darnold has a tight end who's kind of been in and out of the lineup. He's got, you know, a rookie wide receiver, Denzel Mims, who, while talented, probably won't be ready, you know, probably won't be ready to get a bulk of the catches and the targets in week one. And I think Jamison Crowder is going to have a very, very good year. 
Um, he's a guy who could, you know, especially in PPR, I think he could easily get 100 receptions, uh, probably easily go over 12 or 1,300 yards. Um, maybe not as much of a red zone target, probably low on the touchdowns because he is a small slot receiver. But and especially in a PPR league, I think he's going to rack up the catches this year. And I think he's a guy you got to target. You know, he's valued, you know, in the 80s, maybe in the 90s in some in some leagues. I wouldn't be afraid to take him higher than that. You know, maybe seventh, eighth round draft. If you have Jamison Crowder as your flex, I think you're in a very, very good position for this fantasy football season. And lastly, this is a deep, deep sleeper. Justin Jefferson, the first-round pick of the Minnesota Vikings, uh, he's pretty low on the uh, fantasy board. You can get him pretty late in your draft. But there are, you know, I try to pay attention to what the NFL scouts think, and the scouts love this guy. I know one scout thinks he's going to outperform Stephon Diggs from what Diggs did last season in Minnesota. Uh, That's how much they like him. I don't know if he'll quite do that, but the Vikings, they, you know, Kirk Cousins loves throwing to his top receivers. And Justin Jefferson is now their number two receiver behind Adam Thielen. And he's a great route runner. He's going to get open. He's a big guy. He catches a lot of touchdowns. You know, we saw that at LSU with Joe Burrow. And I think Justin Jefferson's going to have a very big year in Minnesota. I think you draft him late, you hold on to him, and he'll have an emergence late in the year similar to what Debo Samuel did last year with the 49ers. So I think Justin Jefferson, if you take him, you are going to be thrilled about it later in the year. Maybe he gets off to a slow start. But I think he's going to be a guy that really gets better as the year goes on. And I'm excited to see what happens for him. All right, now for the exciting part of the podcast, the fantasy draft strategy that will be guaranteed to win you your league this year. Number one, load up on running backs and wide receivers in the early rounds. So first five, six rounds of the draft, take, you know, all but one of those picks should be to a running back or wide receiver. Load up on those guys early. You're going to get a great value because it has a lot of people, you know, reach for quarterbacks early on. Number two, with the one pick you don't take with the running back or wide receiver in the early rounds, take one of the top four tight ends if you can. So whether that's Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, or Mark Andrews, try to get one of those four guys because a drop-off after those four tight ends is drastic. Um, Those are the only four, you know, consistently productive tight ends in fantasy football. So I think, you know, you really want to get one of those four guys if you can. You know, Kittle and you know Kittle and Kelsey go as high as the second round in some drafts. You know, Ertz and Andrews you can get in the fourth or fifth round. Um, but the one pick you don't use on a running back or wide receiver, get a tight end. So, so far, load up on running backs and receivers. Get, a t- get one of the great tight ends. Number three. Wait for a Q, Wait for a QB. Don't be afraid to wait on a quarterback. Wait till the seventh, eighth, ninth round to get your quarterback. But then draft a solid backup as well. So go quarterback and maybe two picks later get another quarterback. He wants two solid quarterbacks, and here's why. Because the difference between the best quarterback and the tenth, fifteenth best quarterback is very small compared to the difference between the best running back and the tenth, fifteenth best running back. And also, you need two running backs. You need two receivers. And the tight end is a gap in talent between the top four and production between the top four and the guys after that is very, very big. Get, you know, wait to draft your quarterback, but then get a solid backup as well. And he's nice trade bait if you get a good solid backup. I like Sam Darnold this year as a solid backup QB. Um, you know, as you know, as a starting QB, low, you know, low end QB one, there's a lot of guys, you know, you can go out there. A lot of the quarterbacks are going to put up numbers, especially the way the NFL is today. Wait to draft a QB and then get a solid backup. Number four, 
take defenses and kickers very late, the last three rounds of the draft, and this is what I do every year. I stream my defense and I stream my kickers. Uh, the one year I didn't stream the defense, I had that Denver Bronco defense that won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning that you know basically were scoring two touchdowns every week it felt like. Um, but for the most part, you know, stream your defense and stream your kicker, you know, kind of as the year goes on. You know, you shouldn't waste high picks on, you know, defenses and kickers. Get running backs, get wide receivers um, with those picks. You don't need to take, you know, the Chicago Bears defense or the 49ers defense, you know, early on in the draft. You know, wait on them. Um, number five, again, load up on receivers and running backs. And here's why. It's going to give you plenty of trade options as the injury bug hits. And especially this year, in a year with no training camp and no preseason games, the injury bug is going to hit this year. Guys are going to lose people. You load up on quality running backs and quality wide receivers, you're going to have plenty of trade options to make your team better as the year goes on. And then uh, lastly, don't be afraid to reach for a running back. You know, I say reach with kind of air quotes, but reach for a running back or reach for a wide receiver because of reality. Uh, or no, don't be afraid to reach for a running back. My bad. Don't reach for a wide receiver. Here's why. Because there are not that many very good running backs or very consistent running backs in the NFL. There aren't a ton of guys that, you know, you can really count on that are going to get the bulk of the carries. They're going to give you consistent production week in and week out. There are a lot of very good wide receivers in the NFL right now. So don't reach for the receivers. If you feel, you know, if you have a need at running back, don't be afraid to reach for a running back, you know, in your fantasy football draft. But don't reach for a wide receiver. Wait on receivers because you will be able to, you know, get quality receivers later and later in the draft, than, you know, especially more so than you will running backs. So I'll go over that again with the six rules for drafting your team. Load up on receivers and running backs in the early rounds. Take one of the top four tight ends, if possible, uh, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, Mark Andrews. Wait for a quarterback to the middle rounds, but draft a solid backup. Take defenses and kickers very late with your last three pit, you know, your last three picks. Loading up on running backs and receivers gives you plenty of trade options once the injury bugs hit. So make sure to load up on those guys early. And then don't be afraid to reach for a running back, but don't reach for a receiver because running backs, you know, they're 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 a premium. Receivers, you can find plenty of good ones. Those are my fantasy football rules, and this has been the Ride On Sports Podcast with Gabe Myers. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, hit the subscribe button on the podcast and leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, follow us on Instagram at rideon underscore sports and on Facebook on the Ride On Sports page. Uh, yeah, you know, interact with us, comment. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. But this has been the Ride On Sports Podcast. Hope to see you next week.